This is episode number 273 with cybersecurity strategist Matthew Rosenquist. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. We've got over two and a half thousand video tutorials, over 200 hours of content, and 30 plus courses with new courses being added on average once per month. And you can get access to all this today just by becoming a Super Data Science member. There is no strings attached. You just need to go to superdatascience.com and sign up there, cancel at any time. In addition with your membership, you get access to any new courses that we release, plus all the bonuses associated with them. And of course, there are many additional features that are in place or are being put in place as we speak such as the Slack channel for members where you can already today connect with other data scientists all over the world or in your location and discuss different topics such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, visualization and more or just hang out in the pizza room and have random chats with fellow data scientists. Also another feature of the Super Data Science platform is the office hours where every week we invite valuable guests in the space of data science and interrogate them about their techniques, about their methodologies in the space of data science. And you actually get a presentation from the guest and you get an opportunity to ask Q&A at the end. And in some of our office hours, we just present some of the most valuable techniques that our hosts think are going to be valuable to you. So all of that and more you get as part of your membership at Super Data Science. So don't hold off, sign up today at www.superdatascience.com. Secure your membership and take your data science skills to the next level. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show because today's guest is one of the top leading world experts in the space of cybersecurity. Matthew Rosenquist is the former cybersecurity strategist at Intel. Matthew spent 12 years at Intel Corporation working in the space of cybersecurity. He is on the board of multiple companies as their cybersecurity advisor. He's made numerous appearances at conferences and on podcasts where he talks about cybersecurity and he constantly shares valuable information about cybersecurity on LinkedIn, where he has over 180,000 followers. So if even if you don't listen to this podcast to the end, make sure to go to LinkedIn and follow Matthew because he shares some very valuable information in the space of cybersecurity. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, this podcast was extremely insightful. I was at some points, I found myself listening like in awe to what Matthew was saying because he shares some very cool examples of uh, cybersecurity, whether it's in the corporate space or in the individual space, how data science is connected to all of that and what kind of world we live in now, what it's all about. So here's a couple of um, spoilers from what's coming up. So in cybersecurity, you need to find a balance. You can't protect everything, but at the same time, you need to protect the most crucial thing. So, uh, here today you will learn what that balance means what it's all about between uh, protecting enough and also balancing the cost it it takes to protect Um, uh, matthew shared his view on the threat agent archetypes from cyber criminals to nation states to data miners and more Uh, you'll hear matthew's story of uh, how his career developed Uh, we talked about the dark web i was always curious what the dark web is about well in this uh, podcast you'll get a small overview of what the dark web actually is. We talked about hacks, some recent hacks like, such as the Equifax hack, some healthcare hacks, the Marriott hacks from last year. We talked about the role of data science in cybersecurity and the first steps you can take to get into the space of cybersecurity or incorporate 
cybersecurity in your career because those data scientists that manage data scientists, machine learning experts, artificial intelligence experts, those who manage to incorporate cybersecurity in some in one form or another in their careers are going to be going to be super valuable, are going to do a lot of good for this world. So it's definitely something that you might want to consider for your career. And my favorite quote from today's podcast was actually, technology is the playing field. And that is a, sh- a small, it's kind of like a link to, or a preview of what Matthew will say on this podcast about how he thinks about strategy of cybersecurity. I think you'll find it extremely valuable uh, and you'll be very surprised. Extreme, I was extremely surprised by the book that Matthew recommends at the end of this podcast. So make sure to listen to the end and check it out. And that's just some previews. There is plenty more happening in this podcast. Great fun. Can't wait for you to check it out. So without further ado, I bring to you cybersecurity strategist Matthew Rosenquist. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back on the show here today because we've got the former cybersecurity strategist from Intel, Matthew Rosenquist joining us. Matthew, welcome. How are you going today? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us this lovely morning in Northern California. And what an amazing chat we just had before the podcast. is is really cool, really exciting to meet with a cybersecurity strategist. I don't think I've dove, dove into this world deep enough before. So very excited to kick things off. Um, How's how like how did you get into this space of cybersecurity? Uh, well, I've been doing security for about thirty years now, and I originally started by doing investigations, internal and external, for uh, companies, primarily for theft, fraud, embezzlement, uh, counterfeiting, things of that sort. So when I moved to Intel. Uh, there was a huge need. Uh, Intel is a massive data company and tremendous intellectual property and computing assets around the world. So, you know, back in the day, what, 23 years ago, somewhere in that area, um, you know, we didn't have a security operations center crisis management or anything. And so I was, uh, I developed some proposals, uh, some proposals to land and create, build and run uh, Intel's first 24 by seven security operations center. And, uh, you know, I proved that, yes, this is something we need to do. And, and they gave me the green light. I uh, built it, ran it, managed it. And from there on, you know, just took progressive uh, challenges within the company. I, I managed our uh, 24 by 7 cybersecurity response, basically our CERT team. I built that from the ground up and was the corporate incident commander. So I was in charge of everything. Uh, managed the cybersecurity for all of our mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, site closures around the world. Um, I was on the product side, protecting some of our products and, and all of our IT systems, I'm all over the place. And it's a fascinating challenge um and I, I love working with the industry and i love synthesizing those technology world and the behavioral aspects not only of the attackers but also of the victims and and the process that, that connect all of those things so i am hugely passionate about cybersecurity. that is amazing and that having a title commander inside a business i've never heard of that before that <laughs> probably just speaks to your passion that's crazy that's insane oh it's it, it's wonderful right the different roles and challenges <clears throat> I, you know I, I couldn't ask for a better career i mm. really couldn't mm. and uh speaking of as you as we just discussed you just recently resigned from intel um and t- what was that decision associated with Oh, you know, I, I've been working again for 30 years, and although I love this, I uh, I wanted to spend more time with my family. Uh, I wanted to go off and, and work even more in the industry, working with uh, various uh, advisory boards. I'm on several right now, and do more external speaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I my, my regular full-time job was, was impacting that a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but it was something that I've been working towards. Uh, think of it as semi-retirement so that I could be full-time doing, uh, you know, industry cybersecurity work. 
And, you know, Intel has been great. Uh, you know, my last uh, part of my last role was actually building and managing the cybersecurity for our artificial intelligence product group. So I got to come in, build that from the ground up, run it, um, in addition to helping out all the other divisions and, and reaching out to the industry. So it's a, a tremendous time commitment there that, that, that now I can kind of shift off and do things like talk with you today. Fantastic. I'm, I'm very grateful, as I'm sure uh, most of our listeners are as well. And it's a, it's a big step as well in somebody's career to um, like take that step away from full-time work in order to commit more of your time to giving back to the community and contributing to impact a broader variety of people and companies and industries and countries. So I, th I think it's a very exciting time that you're entering in, in your life right now. Oh, it is. It is. And, you know, some of the highlights of my career is really reaching out and uh, advising academia, advising businesses and advising governments around the world. So, yeah, and, and I've been doing that for, for the better part of my career. And I just get to expand on that now. Fantastic. Um, in in the end of the day, right, this is such a big challenge that we have. If we don't communicate and collaborate as security professionals across all the domains and all the industries, we lose. Because the bad guys are working together. We have to work and collaborate together to, to move forward. I totally agree. And maybe to kick us off uh, a little bit into this world of cybersecurity. So for, for those of our listeners who are not uh, like fully immersed into it, or even for myself, like I... I've worked in cybersecurity a, a bit when I was in uh, Deloitte Forensics, but nowhere near to the amount of experience, involvement that you had in this industry. So for, for our benefit, could you give us like a brief overview? What is cybersecurity? How is it different to information technology and the problems that are faced in that space? And what's the current state uh, in the world of cybersecurity? Oh, those are some big questions. Okay, <laughs> let me take a shot. Let me take a shot at this. When we look at cybersecurity, cybersecurity is an evolution, right? Uh, an evolution from data security, information security, uh, managing uptime. But if you really just think about it, cybersecurity is the culmination of digital security and everything around that, right? The confidentiality, availability, and integrity of systems, data, people, things of that sort, plus privacy, and also safety now because we are empowering and relying upon technology in such a manner that we're putting our lives at risk, whether it's critical infrastructure, whether it's uh, the trains, planes, and automobiles that are going to be driving us or flying us. Um, when we look at all of that, right, the security, the privacy, and the safety, that's really what encompasses cybersecurity today and moving forward. Now, cybersecurity has risen basically at the same pace as uh, the digital transformation, right? As we embrace digital technology and it becomes part of what we value, it also becomes a target, right? It, no matter what, you know, what thing out there is valuable to us, there's always an attacker shortly thereafter, and right now, digital transformation is turning everything, everything from our finances, our healthcare, our government, our, our, our politics, our communications, all of that digital. And it's valuable to us. So when we look at the threat agency attackers, well, they want to leverage that for their own gains. And there are many different types of, of threat agents out there, whether it be governments or cyber criminals or, or uh, you know, data harvesters, thieves. Um, they all want a piece of that. So there is a certain amount of, of uh, equality as we rise in technology uh, in regards to the threats. Threats always accompany that. And where are we today? <laughs> well, we've got some challenges today, right? If we look at cybercrime, for example, um, it's estimated by 2021 cybercrime overall damages will total over $6 trillion. Wow. Um, Is that in just one year? Yeah, yeah, just in one year. Now, that's up from about $3 trillion a couple of years ago. Uh, 2015, it was estimated about $3 trillion. Wow. Uh, and, and that includes not only the losses, but the recovery and, and everything else. Um, World Economic Forum uh, last year, or actually, was it earlier this year, um, they estimated that 
by 2021, it could be one to two trillion. Um, I'm sorry, one to two percent of GDP of global GDP could Just be cyber impacted crime. by cyber. Crime. Wow, that's huge. <clears throat> that's massive. That's, that's like the, a lot of countries are not as, as large as that. Yeah, exactly. In fact, they come out with their ratings every year. <clears throat> you know, the top 10 things you need to worry about, whether it be natural disasters or wars or whatnot. Um, Cybersecurity related issues hit three of the top 10, took three spots of the top 10. Uh, the top one being number two, the number two spot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of risk out there and we're just scratching the surface. But again, it's relative to our insatiable desire to embrace digital technology, which is fantastic, right? We embrace that because of all the great benefits. It connects and enriches our lives. So we want that. But we also have to be able to manage that risk, mm -hmm. right? It's not eliminating it. Um, it's, it's finding that optimal level of risk. Mm. And that's really what cybersecurity and the future of cybersecurity is about, is finding that optimal level and maintaining that right parity so that we have that right level of risk and cost and impact or productivity issues, right? Finding that right balance. That, and that's fantastic. I'd like to dig a bit into, uh, dig deeper into that because I watched one of your videos online and you spoke about this and really struck a chord with me that balancing between preventing everything and cost. And uh, could you explain a bit more? Why wouldn't you just go and aim to as an organization or as somebody who's representing the values and needs of uh, consumers, why don't you go and aim to prevent everything, like put in safeguard mechanisms to prevent absolutely any kind of attack from any front on the cyberspace? Oh, it's a great question. And, <clears throat> you know, when I talk with, with uh, executives and, and many times even boards, um, that question comes up. Right. They want to know, what do I need to do to, to get rid of all risk, mm -hmm. to not be hacked or attacked? And the reality is it's almost impossible. Right. Technology is constantly evolving. And, it, you know, if you consider right now the estimate um, every year, there's over 100 billion lines of code written every single year. Wow. And we also have estimates out of Carnegie Mellon and a few other places on how many bugs are written in code. And it's somewhere between, you know, 10 and 25 per thousand lines. Mm. But even at that rate, you're talking about millions of vulnerabilities just in software. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about hardware or, you know, wetware, right? We call people in the industry wetware, <laughs> uh, which really is the biggest area. So it's, Technically, it would be impossible mm -hmm. to eliminate all risk, but more importantly, that would be wildly expensive to try and track down every single vulnerability, every single opportunity, and you're talking about intelligent, intelligent attackers, and cybersecurity is fundamentally different than information technology challenges. I'll give you an example. In IT, and I worked in IT many years, um, you know, most of the challenges there we consider single-faceted threats. Uh, if, for example, you have a server and the power supply goes out on it, you know what you need to do. You need to go down to your data center and rip that old power supply out, put the new power supply in, start it back up, and you're up and running. In fact, it's scriptable. You can script that action. And based on data, you can determine how often you need to do that, right? You can do mean time before failure and other statistics to have a predictive model to go in and do it ahead of time as part of preventative maintenance. It is scriptable. It is easy. And once you're done, you're done. When you look at cybersecurity, you're talking about an intelligent threat, one that has its own motivations. It's a person. They have their own motivations, objectives, the resources, plans. They're creative. This is a multifaceted threat. They may in, you know, attack your system and get in and start moving laterally. You may detect them and block them in one area. They're going to adapt to you. They're going to see what you did and try and get over around through. They're going to find the next path of least resistance. And when you block them there, they're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. Right. It is not a single faceted threat. Something breaks, I fix it and we're back to normal. It is an engagement mm -hmm. like a soccer, mm -hmm. right? One team against another. 
it anticipates the enemy, and it will maneuver around your defenses. Mm -hmm. So our world is not static, and we have to take into account those behavioral aspects, which account for almost half of cybersecurity, right? You've got behavioral, technical, and and a sliver of process between. Mm -hmm. We have to encompass all of that. And I guess what makes it even more complex is uh, often these attackers don't follow a predictable incentive structure in the sense that they are not after, sometimes they're after, you know, making money and, uh, or ransom, but a lot of the time they just want to come in and destroy things, which <laughs> try predict that, like why? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually part of a team, a, a threat agent group. It's a think tank. And we've over the years mapped a number of different, what we call threat agent archetypes, mm. right? If you think one of them being the cyber criminal, right? The organized cyber criminal, their motivation is personal financial gain. They have a certain number of resources. They're willing to, to break or bend the laws to a certain extent, right? And we profile file that one archetype. Mm -hmm. But then you've also got nation states, you've got data miners, you've got all sorts, you know, um, uh, disgruntled employees, you've got all these different archetypes, and each one is different and different capabilities. And no solution works perfectly across all of them, or even for any one. Mm -hmm. So for every organization out there, you have to at first, understand Who's primarily going to be coming after you? What are their methods? And now how do you, you know, predict, prevent, detect, and respond to that and then learn? It's, it's, a, it's a massive challenge. Mm -hmm. No, to totally agree. And before we like, dive into solutions and the roles in cybersecurity, I'd like to ask you, if you don't mind, to share that example again that you shared at the start. And I, why, before we started the podcast, why I found it so valuable is because that example of how data, how digital technology can differ and can have a massive impact when it's at an aggregated level versus an individualized level or like versus an application level, that example really puts into perspective how cybersecurity is relevant not only for organizations and enterprises, but also for the individual users and for absolutely any one of us and how it can impact our lives. So, if, if you don't mind, please, could you share that example? Yes, again? absolutely. So, and, and, and I'll give a little background here. <clears throat> Data really is the lifeblood around cybersecurity. Uh, right now, it's estimated that less than 10% of data that's being gathered about you, me, or anything is actually being used for decisions. And so there's this 90% of the data that's being captured and stored. It's not being deleted, it's being stored. And when we look forward, and, and we're seeing the, the, the tip of the iceberg now, artificial intelligence is really going to be one of those tools that will be able to look into that other 90% and start to, to tease out information. Mm -hmm. And especially machine learning, deep learning, there, there's some great tools and technology and research in this area that's proving that it can go and do that. And it's one of the actual big concerns that we have in cybersecurity when we look at the, the security and the privacy and even the safety of digital systems moving forward. And the example that I give is there's, there's a difference between simple analysis, taking a, a database or a couple of databases and coming to a conclusion that could be beneficial versus aggregation of a whole bunch of those that, that might create a situation that is uncomfortable and maybe a little more invasive than what we would want and that could pose risks across that domain of, of cybersecurity. So if, if we look at a single case, right, uh, maybe a good case, uh, traffic cameras or tracking people that are uh, breaking or, or, or causing uh, risks in traffic. Um, if you combined uh, databases from traffic cameras, maybe vehicle registration databases from the government and some facial recognition, uh, and I'll pick on you, right? Uh, traffic cameras may have uh, identified that you went through a red light last night, maybe about midnight, and they want to issue you a ticket or, or give you some training. And based on, let's say, the fuzzy pictures, the, the deep learning system could kind of piece things together and get a partial license plate and tie that in and maybe even tie in um, your vehicle body style and maybe a unique scratch on your bumper. And because of all of that, 
the algorithm comes up and says there's a 92% likelihood that you ran a red light last night and we're going to send you a ticket or make you take some vehicle safety training, that would be a good thing. Right? But if we then take the case looking down the road where that same type of analysis is done on multiple databases and then it's aggregated together, a different story might appear. So if we looked at those same street cameras and maybe grocery store records and video and medical history, social media posts, credit card transactions, home security devices, vehicle tracking, all those kinds of records, you might have a different story. And maybe that story would unfold to something like this. Maybe just before midnight, your home security system detected that you pulled out of your garage and closed the door behind you. Okay, and a grocery store and, and your purchasing records indicate that you went to a nearby store and you purchased uh, chocolate, flowers, maybe some alcohol, and the algorithm determined there's a 94% chance based on what you bought that you anticipated a romantic encounter. All right. And then if we look at the onboard vehicle records and maybe camera records, um, it also indicated that you were speeding on this rainy night and that you ran that red light. And again, in the first example, it could also determine that. But it adds to the story, right? So 92% likelihood that you were there, or maybe even a greater chance now. Onboard vehicle data and your phone data, your location data, shows that you traveled precisely 4.3 miles and you traveled to an apartment complex. And based on everything and the speed, and it indicated there's, there's a 94% chance that you were in a rush specifically to meet someone. And that's interesting. Your social media accounts and public records indicate that your ex-girlfriend from a couple of years ago also lives in that complex. The algorithm may come back and say, ah, 83% chance you were intending to meet her. But if we dig deeper, we see that she had just clocked out of work not not too long beforehand and she took the public train home and she arrived within nine minutes of you showing up well that increases the chance of that meetup to 90 96 percent non-coincidence all right the picture is getting a little clearer here if we do an analysis over the, the tone, the timing, the wording of your last social, your text, your call data, it indicates that there's an 87% chance both you and her planned for a, let's say, carnal encounter. Based upon your health monitor, which was tracking your heart rate, your body temperature, your respiration, and your O2 levels, mm, that activity probably did take place and it took about 14 minutes to complete. <laughs> if we then turn the tables a little bit and we go back and this algorithm looks at her recent web search activity, let's say from earlier in the week, maybe she searched for an uncomfortable word, maybe a word like chlamydia in her browser. And then she subsequently visited a medical site where she spent 27 minutes looking at diagnosis and treatment, and then shortly thereafter scheduled a medical test with her primary care physician, which showed up on her digital calendar. That would indicate a 98% or let's say an 89% chance that she might have an STD. And if we go back and look at your past shopping records, let's say over the past seven months, and it indicates that you haven't purchased any prophylactics, shame on you, right? That there's now, based on all the other information, a 66% chance you have now contracted a communicable disease. Now, that's interesting data. That's potentially powerful and valuable data, right? Drug companies might be interested in that data because they may want to sell you a solution. Your doctor would definitely want to know that so he could provide a better level of care, right? And interdict this before maybe even symptoms show up. Your insurance company would probably want to know that based on risks and, and what they want to charge you. Your employer and other employees may want to know that that condition's there and take appropriate measures. 
your wife, if you had one, <laughs> your wife probably would also want to know, and you may not want her to know, uh, which gives certain leverage, especially to criminals that may want to extort that particular information. And interesting enough, you know who would also be interested? The tourist department of the country that you had planned to visit in a couple of weeks. You already bought the tickets. They may be interested. They may turn around and deny you access now to travel to their country because you have this condition. Now, this is all just grabbing information, doing the analysis, and aggregating it across. And there is a huge difference between that simple analysis and that multifaceted aggregation of analysis. And the aggregation across these databases creates an entirely new narrative. And that could be hugely invasive, right? And that undermines a lot of what we would consider private. But basically, it creates new data, new information from what is already out there. Now, that's a force multiplier of the data that already exists, and that could be tied to you forever in your life, in your digital life. So all of that absolutely can impact safety, privacy, and security. And that's what cybersecurity is. That's what I'm interested and so passionate about. That is just incredible, Matthew. And um, can't, like can't imagine that this is really the world that we live in. Sometimes you wake up and you don't think about these things, but it is the reality of things and it's progressing really fast. And so what, what is the role of the cybersecurity strategist or the cybersecurity expert in all of this? How, how can you prevent the, these things or how can you safeguard people from all of this transpiring just in the way you just described it? Well, a cybersecurity strategist tends to look at the big picture, right? And we tend to look forward. Uh, the past is is interesting. Um, you know, the current has some some value, but really, the value proposition of any good strategist is to look forward in time, so that you can see the risks, but you can also see the opportunities. And so that's part of my role is to be able to communicate and highlight and work with professionals in the industry, in academia, businesses, and, and even with governments to help them understand what are the risks that they face in the future and what are the opportunities to, you know, again, find those optimal level of, of security uh, or privacy, safety, things of that sort uh, moving forward. Uh, right now, in the example that we just gave, there's a lot of discussion in the industry about AI ethics mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that plays a role. The data we just talked about um, in individual databases has tremendous positive value, but now when you start aggregating it out, you do have those impacts for security, privacy, safety. Um, you may not have the transparency. It may There may be bias involved. It may undermine equity and equality for people moving forward. So the discussions right now are, are around AI ethics, what should be gathered, what should be stored, what should be aggregated, what should be anonymized, things of that sort. We're at a point that if we start working on that now, we can avoid a lot of those problems moving forward. And that's really what cybersecurity is about. Let's look at those threat agents. Let's see how they're changing and shifting. Where are they going to go? Are they going to invest more in ransomware? Um, or is that shifting and they're going to crypto mining next year? Right. Those kinds of discussions so that people can be more proactive. And even if they can't prevent problems, at least they can put in detective mechanisms or uh, that, that allow them to respond. You know, the reality is you can't protect against everything. It would just be too wildly expensive. And there are scenarios that may have a very low chance of occurrence, but a very, very high impact if they do, right? We call them black swan events. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, you don't want to try and protect against those. It's just far too expensive. Mm. So instead, you put in controls to quickly detect and respond to them. Mm -hmm. And that then becomes the optimal way. And maybe perhaps even minimize the impact. Yes, I, you know, an impact is is a result of two things, right? It's a result of the attack occurring and what damage, but it's also how fast you can respond to minimize the ongoing impacts, because uh, you know you, you have to look at the big picture. Uh -huh. You really do.
Uh-huh. Gotcha. And so I guess in your example with the uh, with aggregating all these data sets, the caveat there is that these data sets are not just publicly available to anybody and somebody would have to hack into each one of these uh, storage facilities or organizations, whether it be the traffic cameras, the uh, browser search history, your personal um, credit card purchases and things like that in order to put this whole story together. And the more protection layers each one of these organizations has and the more diverse they are, I guess that makes it more difficult for the hacker to put all together. It does, but keep in mind, some of the data is for sale. You can buy it legitimately. You know, you can do web searches. Uh, if you put my name in Google, you can see a whole bunch of information about me. I can do the same to you, right? Mm-hmm. It's open, available. Other information, there are companies that specialize in building profiles about you, right? Maybe they pull in public records about if you've been arrested, um, you know, things of that sort. But you also have to understand there are huge numbers of data breaches out there. And so a single attacker doesn't have to breach all of these. It just has to be any attacker, any time in the past, and that data tends to filter down to the dark web. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to go hack it yourself. You can just go buy it or harvest it uh, from an attack somebody else has previously done. Mm-hmm. And right now, the dark web, the, the very, very smart threat agents there, the cyber criminals there, they're already starting to aggregate the data mm-hmm. so that you can buy a profile. It's no longer the victim's email address, name, um, you know, and phone number, and maybe their, their national ID or social security number. It's now a whole profile about them mm-hmm. that you can start to buy. Uh, and that's just going to get deeper and richer in the examples that we have. Mm. I always find it very interesting when um, I'm talking to somebody and I, I, we get into a conversation or I hear online dark web. Can you tell us a bit more? Like, I, I'm sure you're probably one of the people, the, like probably the person I know who's most experienced in this space. Is it, is it, like, how do, is it like a separate chain of websites? Is it, what, what is the dark web? How, <laughs> what does it feel like? What does it look like? So uh, think of the regular internet that you and I see, right? The World Wide Web. We Mm -hmm. we interact with it in browsers and we can, um, you know, Google search it and and it's very indexed. There is a whole nother layer beneath that, if you will. And it's less organized. It is not indexed on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it is set up to where the participants can interact um, in a very private, anonymous way. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, and there are legitimate, you know, things to do out there. You can purchase, you know, there are stores and, and whatnot that you can do things with. But there's also a certain element where it attracts criminals and people that want to, um, you know, put illegal wares or products up for sale uh, or services up for sale. And you kind of have to know how to get in there. It is not friendly for the average user to go into those uh, that domain, but it is vast because they can upload tremendous amounts of information without repercussion. Mm. And so there is a lot of information. Uh, wow. You know, every every data breach that that you've seen, more than likely, that information or a subset of it is residing in that dark web. Wow. And so it's, you know, you can purchase it, you can interact with it, um, and it's it's a resource out there. It's just not a very visible resource to everyday people, but it's there. And chances are it has some or a tremendous amount of your personal information. That's, out. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. So uh, all of these hacks that, like, we hear about, you know, like in um, – what is it? In uh, 2017, there was an mm-hmm. attack where three credit agencies, three credit bureaus, uh, or agencies were, um, uh, or sorry, Equifax, one of the top three credit bureaus, was uh, hacked, and you know, 143 million U.S. Uh, information of U.S. consumers was mm-hmm. stolen. Like so, things like that would be available, just lying around in the dark. That's really insane that anybody can have access to it. Last year alone, in 2018, there were over 6,000 significant data breaches. Wow. And that included over 5 billion records. And that's one year. 
Five billion. One year. Five billion. And that's the ones, uh, those are the ones that were reported. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, if you can imagine, if you're in a jurisdiction that doesn't require you to report, you're probably not going to. So those are just the ones we know of. Um, And that number increases every year. Mm -hmm. And the depth of data increases. So the richness of the profile then increases. Mm Right. The Equifax is is, you know, had some financial information about people, but they combined it with the healthcare data breaches, the massive ones from 2015. Mm-hmm. So now they've got your finances and your credit ratings and and all of that combined with your healthcare records mm-hmm. and, you know, your doctors and what drugs and and treatments you've had and, and, and so forth. So, again, it just starts to aggregate and build a better, stronger, more detailed profile about you. That's insane. And then there was a hotel last last year, I think it was Marriott with... Uh, um, yes, that was another massive data breach. Like 500 million guests data. That's insane. And it's, their passport information. Passport. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is going on? Like, uh, it, is, it, is it just that companies don't have the right cybersecurity measures in place or are these hackers just becoming much smarter than what we were capable of protecting against now? So there's a number of different factors here. First off, the number of hackers are going up, Mm -hmm. right? The number of technologies that we're embracing, therefore the amount of vulnerabilities is also going up. Many of these companies actually have good security, but you know, there's always a way in. And depending on that threat agent and how dedicated they are, they will find a way in at some point. Mm -hmm. Now, you can put security controls to be able to detect that quickly, to be able to limit it or compartmentalize them in some in some cases. But, you know, you even look at some of the data breaches, you know, the NSA, the CIA, some of the the top security organizations (laughs) in the planet have had data breaches. So it's very difficult to to protect against everyone all the time. So, you know, it's not saying that that these companies are are completely off the rails and they're not doing anything. Many of these companies do have good security, but you have to stay at the forefront. Mm -hmm. You have to be thinking about the next attack, not what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I would say most companies right now are looking in the historical record to see what they need to protect against. And they're not looking forward mm-hmm. because that's what you really need to do. So it's 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 challenging. Um, it is not easy and it's expensive. It's difficult. Uh, and there's not very many resources. You don't have enough cybersecurity professionals, even if you did have the budget, yeah. to, to go out and hire. They just don't exist. Yeah. Right now, in the next couple of years, is there will be up to three million unfulfilled cybersecurity positions. Wow, that's we just crazy. don't have the people or the talent. That's crazy. So it's tough. It is very. <laughs> I, tough. I guess that explains why you have a whole like calendar for where you're speaking, and you know, like a whole <laughs> list because you know, that's why yes. you're in so much demand. That's yeah. Uh, there is demand. There's mm. lots of demand. But, you know, for those people who are interested, especially in the data science industry, right, data is the lifeblood of cybersecurity. And we're seeing this great intersection between the data sciences and analysis and cybersecurity. So there are wonderful opportunities coming up, especially if people have a passion of, you know, doing forensics um, or figuring out what type of threats or risks or, or trying to tease out an attack out of, out of a flood of data, right? Find the single needle that you're looking for out of a stack of needles. Mm-hmm. That's really what data analysis, and we're seeing great leaps forward, both on the defensive side, right, in detecting things, but also on the attacker's side, we're seeing the threats actually use data science and oh, artificial wow. and everything else. Are you we're suggesting the- our data scientists go to the dark web? No, 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 no. We don't want them to go to the dark side. We want all, of- I need them on the, on the good side. I need them all to be white hats. We just don't have but also understand that the very tools that are being used for good, they're also being used for harm and maliciousness. Mm-hmm. So there becomes a battle there as well. And very soon we're going to start having um, you know, intelligent agents and bots and, and AI algorithms trying to detect the bad algorithms. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a constant evolution in this. It's very, very exciting. The, yeah, I totally agree with you. And th- let's expand a bit more on that. So 
I love your quote, data is the lifeblood of cybersecurity. Tell us a bit about what kind of roles exist for data scientists. Like there's, uh, for instance, people listening to this podcast who've never considered a career path in cybersecurity and after hearing how passionate you are about it, they want to explore it further. What would you, like, how would you describe what roles exist there in, in cybersecurity? So many different opportunities. Um, so, for example, um, you know, looking at information, let's say uh, you have a large company and you have assets, you're constantly being bombarded by attacks. You're being bombarded uh, in your network, people trying to get through your firewalls, people sending phishing attacks through emails or texts or even phone calls or, or video chats, right? There are all sorts of different attacks that can come through. And it's all bits and bytes. Being able to develop systems that can identify what is good data versus bad data, what is somebody trying to make an attack and compromise versus somebody just trying to get work done. There's lots of work in the industry trying to determine certain baselines of, okay, this type of activity by our employees is good, it's safe, it's normal. Um, whereas this type of activity may be abnormal and we need to go look mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. But again, humans, we're pretty chaotic. Mm -hmm. That type of technology has not been perfected. We're nowhere even close because we all do something different. Do you search exactly the same web pages every day? Do you log on exactly the same time, use the same tools, type the same words into your word browser? No, we are constantly changing and adapting and integrating new technologies and ideas. But again, data scientists around that, hugely valuable. And that goes for not only within an organization, but it also goes for security companies. Um, you've got, um, you know, especially around artificial intelligence, you've got systems that are looking to detect deep fakes, uh, so, you know, mm -hmm. uh, fake videos or audio or fake, fake texting, chat bots, all sorts of things, right? And again, it's a matter of pulling in data, trying to understand, is this real or is it synthetic? <laughs> And there's an entire industry about trust because right now you're trusting it's me on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Right? But it really may not be in a few years. It could be my agent, my AI agent doing this so that I could be talking to five or six different people simultaneously mm -hmm. while I'm having a margarita out on my patio. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, you, you've got areas like that. You've got that massive, massive amount of data in these data lakes, oceans, really, um, that people and companies want to be able to tease out value. But there's potential security and ethical and security risks that we have to worry about. Mm -hmm. If we look at, for example, let's look at the automotive industry, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the automotive industry, by next year, they estimate about 90% of the cars will be online. Not, not autonomous, but at least be connected. Mm. And we're going to see autonomous cars come in and, you know, after that. But That's new cars, data, probably. Yeah, the data itself, when you look at autonomous cars, autonomous cars will create about 4,000 gigabytes of data, each car, every day. Wow. 4,000 gigabytes. And that data has value. And it also has potential risks. Mm -hmm. So again, looking at all that and in data science, you know, how do you figure out what is good, what is potentially bad? And if you're talking about that, you're talking cybersecurity. Mm. So there, there's just in, in every aspect of cybersecurity, there will be a role, a job, a need for somebody who has the capability to do an analysis on vast amounts of unstructured data to figure out if there's something wrong or if we need to go fix something or, or address something or if there's a risk that nobody yet knows about that we need to interdict now before something bad happens in every aspect of technology. To totally, totally got your point. And um, I wanted just to comment on the whole deep fake situation. I, I recently heard a like uh, there's an audio on YouTube where they got Joe Rogan, the famous <laughs> podcaster. Have you seen this yes. one? Like to to they faked his voice and he was like as if he's talking about like an R, like a hockey team made out of chimps. It's just <laughs> super funny and it just really sounds like him. Or like the other one where they put Elon Musk's face on a baby 
and it was oh, like yeah. walking around. that was a funny one as well um and yeah so there's definitely like some interesting like I, I agree with you that anywhere that there's data being used especially like any digital space um there there is a room for cybersecurity. i guess the next question like from here would be what's the first step for somebody who's not in the cybersecurity space already and they they understand the value of cybersecurity understand that wherever there's data whether there's digital there should there is or at least should be cybersecurity to some extent what is their first step for their career and for them getting in more involved in the space or learning more about it or getting the right skills or understanding the tools and slowly venturing and exploring this space of cybersecurity well, the first thing is to understand that that the core skills for data analysis, um, they're hugely important. So you have to continue um, to progress down that path and always learn more, expand your skills, um, you know, the new technologies, the new engines, the new algorithms, all those kinds of things. You, you still want to have that, keep that passion alive. Um, because it's really about applying mm -hmm. that to a particular field. Now, when it comes to cybersecurity, again, there are just so many different areas. The next step really is to find your passion. If there's something particular you're really interested in, let's say your home systems got hacked and, and you want to figure out how to stop that or detect when, when there's network attacks, great. Start doing some research about that. Look at the companies that are working in that space and you're going to find opportunities. Connect with people in that role. Let's say you're interested more in digital forensics and figuring out, okay, um, you know, what happened uh, for fraud or for theft or, or something like that. Again, identify those roles, connect with those people, connect with those organizations, follow those thought leaders in that space because there's a whole culture that's emerging out of there that you can participate in and leverage. Um, you know, a, another example would be, um, you know, the crime sprees that are going on or the attacks or um, IoT, Right now, uh, industrial uh, Internet of Things or just regular Internet of Things, that industry is blossoming. Uh, some estimates put the, the total number of IoT and IIoT devices to be over 100 billion just by next year. Mm. And again, that's creating a tremendous amount of data and a tremendous opportunity for attackers. Mm -hmm. So again, find your passion in the cybersecurity space, whatever it is, whatever sounds interesting to you. And all you're going to have to do is dig a little bit and you're going to find how the understanding and analysis of data will help push forward that, that industry. Connect with those thought leaders, follow them, and you know, interact because, again, in our industry, the security professionals out there realize that – there just aren't enough people that, that are coming up to take over for cybersecurity. So the thought leaders in our industry, probably more than most, we work with people that have questions that are interested. You know, connect with me via LinkedIn. Uh, I get connections and questions all the time, and I'm happy to answer them because we want to help that next generation who are going to inherit these cybersecurity problems. I want to help groom that next generation of cybersecurity professionals out there. So you will find when you connect and follow um, people in, in areas that you're interested in in CyberSec, they will work with you. So don't be hesitant, don't be shy. Love that advice, fantastic. I to totally admire your passion to, as you said, help the next generation that are gonna be faced with this problem. Um, is there any portal or like what are, what are the best materials that you share that people can follow specifically some of your maybe lectures or maybe your presentations, uh, any kind of articles or anything else that is best to get started with to understand better your advice in this space? Uh, the best thing is probably to follow me on LinkedIn, and mm -hmm. you can look at my profile. I try and post um, almost all the presentations that I do out there. Um, I'm prolific in talking about different industry events and why they're relevant, not only today, but especially for tomorrow. Uh, I've got a good following. I, I think it's about 190,000 uh, professional followers in LinkedIn. About 10% are actually C-level or higher. 
so the, the C-suite as well as boards and owners of companies. Uh, and the next, uh, I want to say 40-something percent is uh, tends to be management. But I, I've got a huge range of people. And, you know, go out there, take a look uh, at the videos, at the blogs, and more importantly, chime in. Right. If there's a comment out there that you find interesting or you have a question, jump into the conversation, comment, pose your question. And whether I respond or somebody else in the industry responds, right, you're building those connections and you're getting insights, not just my insights, but insights of the entire community that I'm a part of. And that's tremendously valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's another way to further grow your network. You you post a comment, somebody posts a comment, and then all, you guys have a similar interest, and then you yes. connect with them. Absolutely. And it's not just the public comments. I get a lot of, of comments through you know, LinkedIn's instant messaging so, or emails, and so they're, they're, you don't even see them online. And so I collaborate with industry professionals all over the world about all sorts of different topics. And we have to. We have to work together. The challenges we face are so almost insurmountable <laughs> that we have to communicate we have to collaborate the bad guys do it yeah right we sure. have to as security professionals do it otherwise we won't move forward fast enough we won't maintain parity in the pace and innovation of the attackers so we have to and we know this all the top security professionals out there know it and we all work together so join that community Right. And I'm on LinkedIn, Medium, Blogger, Twitter. Um, I post most of the stuff to LinkedIn, but you can also Google search me. Uh, but don't just limit it to me. Find the professionals in the cybersecurity industry that you're most interested in, in the topics that they discuss and areas that they work in. Follow them. You may not like what I talk about. Great. Follow somebody else and work and communicate with them. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I, I, um, I told, I also find that uh, for some reason, LinkedIn in the space of like data science for you in the space of cybersecurity works really well. I think people love, um, connecting on a professional level and like seeing the things that you post, the things that you share and expanding your network. So I, you know, highly encourage everybody as well listening that LinkedIn is a great place to connect with, um, people like Matthew and uh, others in the cybersecurity space as well. And I guess um, well, another thing I wanted to ask you is uh, any good books that you can recommend on cybersecurity? Like if somebody is really inter interested in learning more about this topic, what what is a book that they can pick up and get, get a, like, a feel for it? Well, I'll tell you my favorite book, and this is going to be a little odd, right? But keep in mind, strategist, right? You're talking to a strategist. I'm looking forward. The book that I've found most relevant, and you're going to laugh, right, because okay. it has nothing to do with digital technology is actually The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Wow, that is, that is awesome. <clears throat> it is, and here's why. Let, let me justify that explanation, right? Sun you Tzu really take your job strategy. seriously. And no matter, I do, <laughs> I mean, but you Commander have to, Matthew. You have to, right, um, Sun Tzu was a master strategist, right? Two and a half millennia ago, he created this, this, this series of advice, right? Military advice. But this book has, it's, it's a classic tome and it's still relevant today. In fact, it's taught in every major business class, um, in uh, military warfare, even sports, um, you know, in any adversarial type of endeavor, because it looks at many different factors. It doesn't just look at the technology of the day. It looked at the people behind the technology. It looked at the attackers and the defenders. It looked at their mental states. It looked at taking advantage of the environment. And, you know, back in the day, you know, uh, 2,600 years ago, they didn't have digital technology, right? Mm -hmm. But all those same ideas and concepts, amazingly enough, they are relevant today. They are relevant when we look at the attackers and look at their motivations. How do we undermine their confidence? How do we uh, evaluate what um, capabilities that they have? What is their path of least resistance? Where are they going to maneuver to? How can we find an optimal way of defense? right? Or potentially even offense. Mm. So Sun Tzu did a great job. Um, and there's many different interpretations and, and follow-ons to, to his work. But the art of war very much applies to the art of digital war. 
I, I think I understand now why, like, how, how this all comes together in the sense that we're, because cybersecurity is not one of those spaces, like, where you can just learn certain principles and just follow them or, you know, certain frameworks, methodologies, get good at them and, you know, you'll complete the job to a very good level of um, satisfaction and, and get good results. It's it's so undetermined as like you repeat repeatedly mentioned on this podcast like we don't know where we're going to in the next you know not let like next year let alone decade we don't know what's going to be happening next year in terms of how this um, intelligent opponent is going to react what they're going to do uh, what things they're going to be looking at so for somebody to be successful like super successful as a cybersecurity expert it's not enough for them to just um, be told what to do and do it they have to as as in your example have to be a strategist they have to be a commander decide what the organization is going to look at what threats they're going to cover what threats they're not going to cover how they're going to flank the opponents and so on so like it, it all adds up that you know your favorite book on this topic is since out of war is just it's brilliant brilliant when you like look at it that way so big big kudos for sharing that it's, i think that's a great a great idea for people to read that you can never underestimate the impact of the behaviors when it comes to cybersecurity. In the in the in the origins, every attack starts with a person. It's it, it's a person. They may be writing malware. They may be doing something. And at the other end of the spectrum of that story, there's always a victim, and that victim is human as well. Mm -hmm. So the playing field is technology, and a lot of people only focus on that. It's a crucial crucial piece, but you also have to integrate the human factor. And if you don't, you're going to fail. Love it. Love it. Um, Matthew, I guess final question. Are we going to win this war? <laughs> it's not about winning or losing, right? It's, it's about finding that optimal balance. We don't want to impede technology because technology is awesome, right? Again, it connects and enables the world. It, it, it enriches our lives. So we don't want to stifle that. But at the same time, we don't want to be overly victimized. So it's about finding and maintaining that optimal balance of risk. And that's really what we need to go to. We're not there yet. Um, we're not even keeping pace with the attackers yet, but we're improving. We are much better off than we were a year ago or five years ago, and we're trending better. So the gap is not close. The, the attackers definitely have the advantage. We're gonna see a lot more victimization in the next few years. It's gonna not be pleasant. But security and cybersecurity is evolving. And I think if we all work together and we have brilliant minds, especially like data scientists, that gives us an important step forward. So are we going to win? I don't think it's ever a win-loss game. Um, we need to find that right level and maintain it. And that's really the goal. Fantastic. Well, on that note, Matthew, thank you so much for coming and joining me on this podcast i'm sure thousands of people are going to see value in this and hopefully going to incorporate some level of cybersecurity practice in their data science careers once again thank you so much thank you it's truly been a pleasure it's a great conversation thank you so much ladies and gentlemen for being on the podcast today for sharing this time with matthew and me i hope you enjoyed today's episode so much knowledge matthew shared so many valuable tips insights and experiences examples from his career i am extremely grateful for him coming on the show um, and what a surprise right that it, to be a cybersecurity strategist or as a successful cybersecurity strategist he actually thinks of cybersecurity cybersecurity the same way that sun tzu thought about war that was mind-blowing for me personally. Uh, but I think it, it totally makes sense. And uh, it's very exciting to hear that the space of cybersecurity is such an interesting field to be in. And I highly encourage uh, you, the listener, to see how you can incorporate even a little bit of cybersecurity. Even if you're not going to go head in full on into cybersecurity, which you might after this podcast. But even if you want to incorporate a little bit in your career as a data scientist, as a machine learning expert, as an AI expert or AI architect, it's very 
it's going to be very valuable for your career because with how ubiquitous data is, cybersecurity is going to become more and more important. And not only will you become more valuable to employers and companies, but also you will actually be able to do more good for the world and make sure that the creations that you come up with are protected and are safe for people to use. So that was Matthew Rosenquist. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 273. That's superdatascience.com slash 273. There you'll find all the links for all the materials that we mentioned in this episode. Uh, also, you'll find Matthew's LinkedIn there. The URL to his LinkedIn. Make sure to follow Matthew on LinkedIn. He's got 180,000 plus followers. Uh, he must be doing something right and sharing really valuable content. You don't want to miss out on that. So follow Matthew. And if you enjoy this podcast, share the love. Spread the word about cybersecurity. Send this link, superdatascience.com slash 273 to somebody you know who's interested in cybersecurity, who's in the space, or simply who is passionate about data or data science because cybersecurity comes hand in hand with data. On that note, I will leave you with that. And thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.